You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of Us needs and appreciates all your support. This Digital Noise episode also is a video version for subscribers at the brown coat level or above. Become a subscriber and get the extended video version. Digital Noise is back, and Digital we're here for, oh, Lord, he's spooping. What? He's spooping. What? It's spooky season. Yes. I bring out my little H.P. Lovecraft bobblehead, which um, someone pointed out looks like Mark Zuckerberg, but then I was looking at pictures at Lovecraft, and I was like, I wow, Lovecraft this. and Zuckerberg do look alike. Oh, if only they were both horribly blithering racist people. <laughs> True, but Lovecraft at least created a lot of stuff we love. Zuckerberg created a thing that we kind of love to hate. I was going to say, give it a few years. I'm sure we'll find out Lovecraft is a racist, too. (laughs) Or Zuckerberg. Yeah. Oh, wait. No, wait. Oh, I see what you did That was the joke. But uh, yeah, my buddy owns this company, Agronautics. You can go to Agronautics, his website for that, and they've got bobbleheads, all sorts of stuff. I really want to get the one for the Misfits. It's got the Misfits skullhead guy. I was like, oh, man. And they're all actually pretty reasonably priced, too. I was expecting them to be like 60 bucks because they're like really nice sculpts. I was like, wow, that's actually pretty cool. I know. I wasn't but, surprised for how non-traditional they were. Like, it was all bands and art, art, uh, authors and artists. It was mm-hmm. people you would never expect to have a bobblehead but kind of want to own a bobblehead of. Yeah. I mean, like, I was most excited for uh, this one, which is Gibby Haynes, who's the lead singer of the Butthole Surfers with a megaphone and everything. And I was like, wow, that's... You've come to something when the lead singer of a band called the Butthole Surfers has his own bobblehead figure. But they were like my favorite band for like 10 years, believe it or not. I know. Judge me if you want. Of course they were. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, Aaron Papa Bear Woodle is the one doing digital noise with me this week. And I know he's excited because he loves the spoopy stuff. And we have got a lot of the spoopy stuff with a little bit of the super stuff. Plus this this, uh, set legitimately helped me reframe the way i viewed um horror movies for the masses like i I made it halfway through the set and i was being really snarky and had this moment of like you know what these do have value even the ones that aren't for me it was nice it was a nice wholesome moment that's fair that's fair although i have certainly seen some horror films that i did go this does not have value oh there's (laughs) one of those there's a we got some of that too yeah well let's start off with one that i'm pretty sure you felt that way about uh evil boy (laughs) you were texting me like this is the worst piece of shit you'd ever seen this russian i guess it is it is uh, russian this is not the worst movie i've ever seen this is just the dumbest movie i've ever seen um (laughs) it it Evil boy follows a husband and wife who years prior they had had a child and through something that like it it takes a while to really get into really what happened their child 
either died or disappeared, something happened and the child is no longer with them and it clearly messed them up a lot. Um, and so they're starting to recover and get to a point where they can move on with their lives and they're seeing, they're going to orphanages basically trying to find the right kid to take home with them. Uh, you know, like when you go to Best Buy. And <laughs> while they're standing outside an orphanage one day, they happen to see someone run into the under construction wing of that orphanage and find a murdered priest on the ground and a feral child who like, like, like a wolf kid who was raised yeah. by animals and no social skills and everything, but who has a shaved head. So clearly someone's been shaving its head. Um, and so they find this, child and dead priest in the under construction wing of this orphanage and decide to take the kid home with them because you know they needed a kid and in the beginning the wife is super really into like no no i I want this we need to give this child this chance to live and grow and have a good life and the husband is like are you fucking crazy it's a feral child we literally found in an abandoned building no um but you know they do and then over time slowly the the wife starts to kind of understand that something may or may not be right wrong with the child and then she actually becomes pregnant with another child herself while the husband is kind of really latched on to the the past why did the kid end up in the abandoned wing of the orphanage and why was there a murdered priest on the ground which nobody really seems to care about that much (laughs) um and and like the movie kind of is half a ghost story or a demon possession story and half a uh my child isn't really my child it's evil but why won't anyone believe me from the point of view of the mother story and like I, I think that if if you don't think about it too much, this movie does a good job. It, it tells a really interesting story. It does a good job of building to some good, interesting, creepy moments. And, and there are some effective freakouts and some really cool twists in this. But if you put even an iota of real honest to God thought towards the events of what happened, it immediately falls apart. And yes, I was live texting Crystal like, wait, 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 wait. So like, like the police let these strangers who found a feral child just take it home with them. Dude, it and makes the- a lot of difference. The fact that it's in Russia. Well, we don't know. I was like watching. Yeah, but it's Russia. I mean, like who knows what the fuck passes for okay over there right now. I mean- sure. Fair. And then there was a fair amount of that for me too. You're right. But like, this is, this is fine. Um, it's, it's a, it's not particularly great. There's better movies in both of those genres to watch, but this isn't necessarily egregiously bad. Like I can really see sitting down and watching this and having a beer or hanging out with your buddies and getting high and having a good time watching a silly demon, evil child possession, maybe not movie. And, yeah. and it goes into enough places that you can get that fun out of it. Just it's, don't don't think about it. It's it's kind of a cross between like the bad seed, which it feels like at first you're just dealing with oh this some kids are just born bad type of thing, but then it's more like the omen in Pet Cemetery, yeah. and that's all fine. I actually was kind of getting into it for a while there, despite yes being implausible. But I mean, it's about demons inhabiting a child, so what do you want? But as it went on, it does some nice little touches. Like the, the mom starts going part of her, like 
is it possible that this child is actually our child who disappeared? Which, of course, it's not, but she's kind of going crazy. But the kid starts to actually, with the help of really subtle, cool use of CG, starts to look like their child from the first part of the movie. But because you only ever saw that child briefly in the film, you yourself are going, I can't remember. Is that what he looked like? Like, it starts to, you know the kid's looking different, but you're not really sure. The problem is when it gets to the third act, when it starts going, okay, we're going to go full-on monster baby here. And the CG is, oh, like... so bad. It's, like, something from, like, 1989 or something. No, I'll you tell know? you what it is. I mean, this is a deep, DJ, uh, deep digital noise cut. It's exactly like this indie straight-to-VOD art exploitation horror film we watched where there's an anus in a wall... And they had this random, really horrible CG in that movie that brought it down like a single star. It was so bad. It's on that level where like you go, you know what? At this point, it would have been better if you just didn't do it. Just like try something completely different because what you decided did not work. <laughs> Very true, I guess. Uh, yeah, it's one of those. I feel like if they had found a way to make the ending work, I'd actually be able to recommend it. But as it is, I was like, yeesh, yeesh. Like, the, I'm interested for the director, but just, no. Well, we're moving on to Arrow, which is always going to have an interesting, but look at how happy he is. He loves his Arrow. I love my Arrow. So and this is, you never know what you're going to get from Arrow. And sometimes it's going to be something like, this is an all-time classic that's being treated with love, with tons of new bonus features and a beautiful new fix-up. And sometimes it's some wildly obscure thing you have never heard of ever so much as crossed the lips of anyone else that you can't believe even fucking exists. And that's what this one is. Yeah. Jesus shows you the way to the highway. A very strange, super low budget, bizarro film. And literally, I can't, I, I've seen three different reviews do this now and go, I cannot summarize this film, so I'm just going to read you oh. what it said on the film's Kickstarter Wait. campaign page. Hold on. Okay. I, I want to try, because I think I can do it. Um, first of all, this movie is a... Oh, it's not Algerian. It's it's an Ethiopian, crowdfunded, independent movie made by non-actors and non-professionals who basically went, look, let's take this money and let's make something really weird. This is their second feature. It follows Dakota Johnson who is a member of the CIA and it is his job to go into psycho club. I think I got the name wrong um, to basically fight back against Stalinist Russia. And in the beginning of the movie, an accident happens while they are investigating drugs being created and shipped in psycho club. And he accidentally gets left behind in the VR world while his body is just basically left to rot in the re real world. Mm -hmm. And so you have two concurring plot lines. There's the plot of where did the drugs come from? What do they do? How do we stop them? I.e., how do we stop this Stalinist Russian virus? And then there's the A plot, kind of, which is about him getting back to his Amazonian bride so that they can leave the CIA, leave Psycho Club forever, move into a small town on the water and start up a kickboxing academy that she's going to run and a pizzeria that he's going to run. Now, I think it's very important to point out first that said protagonist is a dwarf with a hunchback, which is already an odd choice of casting <laughs> significantly. That, that they never call attention to in any way, shape nope. or form, except for in the real world, 
only he is always complaining about how much his back hurts. Right. Uh, but then you've got other characters like that pop out of nowhere, like Roy Mascarone, who uh, might be Jesus Christ, but probably not, but yeah. might also be a rock star. It's very unclear and very weird, but somehow he's deeply involved in the third act. And then there's a dude who dresses up exactly like the 60s Batman, except they keep... Batfro. C- huh? Batfro. Yeah, but they're like doing CG or a little bit of digital messing over the the bat logo so you can't see it. I don't know if it's actually for legal reasons or because that's part of the joke. But that's a guy that keeps popping up in here. Yeah, he's the this main character. A, he's the mayor of Psycho Club. <laughs> this is an endlessly weird film. I, I, I've never seen anything like it. I think you definitely told me you enjoyed it. And I just reached a point where I went beyond bafflement to just kind of like... When is this thing going to fucking wrap up? Jesus Christ. So here's the thing. It's an hour and 12 minutes. It's a short watch. Um, It is not a traditionally good movie. It's not a bad movie. Like it does what it intends to, but it is very much something that it's to be experienced. It's not like, yeah, that's a great movie. I can't wait to put on Jesus shows you the way to the highway, which does happen. (laughs) Jesus does show them the way to the highway. That's true. Um, but like you don't do that. It's the kind of movie that that you put on when you want to have a party and it's on in the background, or it's the kind of movie that you put on when you're doing shrooms and you want to watch something weird. Like this is a trippy, psychedelic, weird movie that makes no sense. And if you can get behind the absurdity of that, there's a lot to enjoy here and also admire, considering like how shoestring this movie is. And, and like that's skipping the fact that. Almost everything in Psychopaths is filmed in stop motion, which yeah. is amazing. Like, like that's what made me fall in love with this movie was when the two CIA agents got into a fight with Stalin in stop motion, but the real people just wearing paper masks that like, like, like have like a, a Canadian from South Park head cut out for the way they talk. And I've just, you've never seen anything like this is what it is. That is an unusual choice that actually I, I'm watching it going, I can't believe nobody's done this before now that I yeah. can think of. I mean, maybe right? someone has, but I, not that I can recall. But it is a thing that takes up a large portion of the running time of this movie. So after a while, my impre- being impressed with the gimmick wore <laughs> off. <laughs> Fair. Fair. But uh, there is... A lot that comes with this, including the first feature by this writer-director, Crumbs, and I did not watch it. I just could not after sitting through the, uh, the longest hour and 12 minutes that I had sat through in some time. Uh, I was surprised because you were like, oh, did, did you watch it? I'm like, well, no. I was like, oh, well, then I don't have to watch it. I was like, I thought you liked this movie. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to, but I have had an incredibly crazy couple of weeks at work, and it isn't African. Uh, and I was like, okay, I can put on the other one and like watch it and hear it and know what's going on, but I, I can't do that with foreign films because you can't hear. You, I, I don't know Afrikaner. So that, that's yeah. Fair. But but I, I I admit I'm excited to watch it. But well, I don't know is... that I have enough drugs in the state of Texas <laughs> to really appreciate it, though. Yeah, yeah, I don't think anyone does. Um, there's audio commentary. There's a uh, analysis by someone named Will Webb, which goes and looks o- over all the references because the film is referencing pop culture like constantly. Uh, there's a conversation with the director, which is uh, has Josh Hurtado interviewing him in, in this 
past June uh, with excerpts of the film. There's two of the director's short films, Chigger Ale and Night in the Wild, Wild Garden. And then some promotional materials on here, as well as an insert booklet and a double-sized fold-out poster. So, I mean, if this is your type of thing, and I know people who live or die for this kind of shit, that's never been me. I'm like, okay, I love watching innovation. I mean, like, directors like him might go on to do something I genuinely fall in love with when they're, like, ease a bit more towards conventionality with what they learned by being unconventional. Yeah. Uh, But... This was a little too much on the side of let's just throw everything at the screen and see what happens, you know? That's fair. I get it. I dug it. I I admit I also learned a little bit about myself and that I have a type because his wife, who in the beginning, it's like she is a very non-traditional woman. She's very broad-shouldered and she's introduced butt-ass naked in a shower where, like, the main character walks up and hugs her tummy and butt because that's about how tall he is. <laughs> and I was like, huh, okay. But then by the time you get to the end of the movie, which she's naked a lot in, I was like, I'm kind of into her. Like, I'm into this. <laughs> like, I wasn't expecting that, but I have. Okay, cool. Good to know about myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, the next film we're talking about also is firmly in a weird movie territory, but more of a weird horror movie territory, partially because this 2002 biographical horror film of Jeffrey Dahmer, the, the famous gay serial killer who would eat his lovers, uh, you know, the cannibalistic serial killer, probably the least threatening looking serial killer ever. But it's interesting because a very young Jeremy Renner playing this role, and he is really quite remarkable in this particular performance. I've always wanted to see this because of that. I remember this kind of came out in a whole slew of like very low budget, like biopics about serial killers. And they were all pretty terrible, except for this one. This is the one that everyone's like, well, Dahmer's not bad. Just never got around to seeing it. Well, here it is in a new special edition Blu-ray. And... It's okay. <laughs> you know, I, I think Dahmer, I already knew everything that's in here. Um, I, you know, yes, I fall often fall down Wikipedia holes reading about serial killers. I don't know. I, I like to be scared. Right. So I knew all about Dahmer, but this is a very like mixing sort of two periods that the film slowly grows it's sort of coming together in time as it goes of revealing from like, sort of like we see when he sees his first victim, a hitchhiker when he was a teenager, it shows that he had problems with his father. It talks about his own alcoholism uh, issues with him being emotionally isolated things with him discovering gay nightclubs and starting to meet guys and getting them home where he can rape and murder them. And more importantly, it follows this guy that he knows named Rodney who he obviously brings home originally to rape and murder, but they actually start having a personal conversation where Jeffrey obviously starts to have feelings for this guy, genuinely starts to like him and has to decide, well, what am I supposed to do with that? Okay. uh, That part never happened in real life, but it is just a method of trying to explore who Jeffrey Dahmer was as a person, whether it's accurate or not, I really don't know, but I will say there's enough here with Renner's performance at, to make this, I think, really well worth seeing. Uh, it's not an all-time classic or anything. I didn't go, man, I, I can't wait to see this. But Yeah, Dahmer's kind of a weird movie. When I went into it, I was expecting this really low-class, high-gore, just kind of grungy horror movie. And it, it yeah. ended up being kind of an 
arty, sedate rock biopic about a serial killer as the main character. Like structurally, it follows that. And the, the linchpin is his relationship to this new guy in his life as he tries to kind of you can see him trying to see, can I not be somebody who kills people and cuts them up, but ultimately falling back into that life. Like, I, I really enjoyed the Dahmer biopic a lot more than I was expecting it to. Jeremy Renner did a really great job, and it, it was interesting seeing a character study on somebody who both is in a world where culturally he's a gay man who can't be a gay man because it just isn't accepted at the time. However, being a gay man is the lesser of two evils considering that the other thing he's trying to hide is, you know, killing and eating people. Um, there's some really <laughs> effective kills that are honestly disturbing. Uh, the very first kill that it builds up to skeeved me out big time. And so if you're a fan of those kinds of ooey gooey horror movies, you're still going to enjoy that. And there's some sincere drama here. Like, like this movie, I thoroughly enjoyed. It was one of the better ones in the set we got, which I really was not expecting. I found this kind of dry myself, but I did really, like I said, I was very drawn to his performance in here. I mean, everybody's good in it overall, and it is creepy, but I don't think I liked it quite as much as you did. It also is like, as a re-release, it's a little bit updated for Blu-ray. All the, the extra features, which is like a, a 16 and a half minute featurette, a stills gallery, a storyboards gallery, and a director and cast commentary, they're all older, you know, they're archival, sure. so... There's nothing excitingly new here, except this has been unavailable for a while on DVD. So it's this new release. This is the one there is. And it's fun to see Jeremy Renner when he's like 15. I mean, he was really yeah. probably in his 20s, but the dude looks 15. It's really he weird. Does. <laughs> well, we're going to move into another film that is horror adjacent that I've everybody else seems like they've seen and I've just never got around to seeing. And now I finally can because the Vestron video collection from Lionsgate, they're finally starting that back up again. Now Vestron video was a company that existed in like the eighties and nineties for all too brief period of time that put out a lot of sort of low to mid budget genre stuff. Some of which turned into like all time classics, some of which kind of got buried and forgotten about except for, from people like us, basically. Yeah. But I had never gotten around to seeing the movie Little Monsters from 1989, starring Fred Savage, uh, who, of course, is, you know, best known for being the lead character on The Wonder Years. Sure. And and then Howie Mandel, which is playing the dollar store version of Beetlejuice. So <laughs> I watched this a shit ton as a kid. This was one of my childhood movies. My mom was actually really excited when I saw this because I showed it to my son, not having seen this in quite a while. And she was curious what he was going to think about it. Uh, like, I'll admit this movie is not as good as I remember it as an adult. <laughs> Fancy that. Um, but honestly, it was a lot better than I expected it to be. My son loved it. Uh, it, it tells the story of Fred Savage's character is, is kind of a troublemaker child. He's very similar to the kid in Frog Dreaming or The Quest that we saw a couple of episodes ago. Um, and he's getting blamed for a bunch of shit he didn't do. And so he's determined to catch his little brother in the act and prove to him that what his little brother told him isn't true, which is that monsters are real and there's one under his bed. Lo and behold, monsters are real and there is one under <laughs> his bed, played by the annoying as fuck Howie Mandel. Um, 
And so he becomes friends with this monster and goes into the world of monsters, which is an alternate dimension underneath the beds, and goes on pranking adventures and has a gay old time with him until he starts to learn two things. One is that being in the world of monsters is slowly turning him into a monster. Uh, as anytime light hits him, his, his hand disappears into his clothes and he becomes a pile of clothes. And also, uh, it's discovered pretty quickly that the leader of the monsters, the boy, uh, has designs on him and his baby brother. And so the movie quickly in its third act turns into kind of an action rescue movie as Fred Savage and the girl he has a crush on and the bully who picked on him, you know, all the characters who have any kind of a moment uh, band together to take a stab into the world of monsters to re rescue his little brother. And like, what's really special about this movie is the makeup. Like clearly when they made this film, they hired good makeup personnel because the monster designs and the effects on them are legitimately good. Uh, every scene where they lean towards the effects, it's like, wow, that was effective and creepy as shit. The problem is, is that Howie Mandel is on always. And every single line in this entire movie that he has is followed by, <laughs> and I wanted to strangle him by the end of the movie. I feel so bad for how many times my parents must have had to watch this, but my son loved it. Just adore yeah, I mean, the hell out of it. It's Beetlejuice for kids who are like, you know, and Beetlejuice is for kids who are like 10 and up. This is for kids between five and 10. Yeah. You know, it's, he is more, he's a Barney of monsters, you know, he's like, <laughs> he's like Fred Rick Mayall from that movie with Phoebe Cates where he's her imaginary friend, but dialed up to like a thousand yep. and desperately in need of some Ritalin. You know, it's fine if that's what you're looking for. I'm not going to, I don't want to do a disservice to my, uh, to, to uh, Mandel's energy. He is oh yeah, like nonstop and crazy. But it is, it's it feels like they said, ah, it's Harry Mandel. He's a professional comedian. We'll just let him improv whatever he wants, rather than anything was written. Well, That's what it feels like because it's all cheap, bad jokes that are like I guess supposed to have been that much more accessible, but none I of guess. it is really funny. I mean, there's something you can't help but feel affectionate for the whole thing by the end of it. Cause you're like, Oh, well this was a solid effort. By the way, the boy, the bad guy played by a young Frank Whaley. Also uh, the annoying bully character is buzz uh -huh. from home alone. No shit. Yeah. Well, this is like, his I can double you up on. Well, the dad is played by the legendary Daniel Stern, who by the way, voiced the older version of band savage on the show the wonder there you years go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I don't mean to shit on this movie like i think it was an authentically fun movie it, it's it's like you said it's a nice dark kind of horror movie but that can be viewed by kids who are between five and nine years old and like it's, it's yeah. not going to freak him out too much nothing really bad happens but it's going to be enough to make him do the eyes wide thing where they're like what the hell was that i've never seen that yeah. before it's another good starter horror film yeah. for either kids who are that young who are like, ooh, I'm kind of both attracted and repelled by creepy stuff. Or really by, and I know people like this, adults who want to watch something for Halloween but get scared super yeah. easily. This is the thing that's not spooky, it's spoopy. And you're like, yeah. ready. that's what you're, you're, you're ready for yeah. there is this is the spoopy thing. It's right up there with and, David S. Pumpkins. 
Yeah, I, and, like this is something alongside the witches or Hocus Pocus or something like that. Agreed. You know, you're like, yeah, it's one of those. It's not a great movie, neither are they, but it's a movie that I can see people having a lot of affection for because they saw it when they were younger. And you watch it and you're like, wow, it's inoffensive and there are some genuinely good moments in it. So this, I'm glad this exists. It's not a great upgrade to Blu-ray. I mean, it looks the, acceptable. But it does have a special feature on here that is worth watching. It's like 15 to 20 minutes, and it's the promotional video that they sent to VHS rental houses when this originally came out on VHS. And so Mm. it's like part ad, and then it's, and then check out this cool thing. You know, people can come in and get this phone number and dial the phone number and talk to the cast and crew, and they can (laughs) play this game, and it's only going to cost you $300 a tape. (laughs) (laughs) You know, also impressive here, and this so rarely happens outside of big studio releases, this comes with a digital code. I was like, wow, that's kind of fucking cool that this comes with a free digital copy of it. But there's an audio commentary with Jarrett Gahan, who's the editor-in-chief of cultofmonster.com. I don't know. Uh, And isolated score selections and audio interview with composer David Newman. There's an interview with Howie Mandel for about 19 minutes Uh where he talks about how unpleasant it was wearing all this makeup, basically. And he still has the uh, the jacket, apparently. I would, too, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, there's an interview with the producer for about 14 minutes. There is an interview with the makeup effects creator, which, as we said, was pretty good. There's a bunch of vintage interviews with all the actors from the the time. Uh, behind the scenes footage, vintage footage of Howie Mandel's transformation and makeup. Uh, as you said, the EPK and VHS promo stuff, still galleries. I mean, this is a really solid package for a a film that is just okay for someone if you have no previous memories of it or don't have kids is like, yeah, okay, I guess it's fine. Like me. But I mean, if you are someone who grew up with this movie, I could see still having really strong affection for it and what happened. Oh, I'm I'm going to show it to Fissy many a time. Like this is going to be added to my collection just because I have kids. Well, you know, the other Vestron video re-release this time is one that you really should not show to your children until they're at least like 25. But I squeed (laughs) when you handed me this movie. Oh, I'm really glad I was that you were so excited about it because honestly, there's a whole period of David Cronenberg's work that is like, yeah, even though it's a varying levels of goodness, it's all pretty damn good and you should check it out. His first film that is considered to be an essential watch by fans, which is discounting the fact that he had two very weird science fiction movies that came out before it, is 1975's Shivers. It was his first proper foray into horror. It's definitely the one that influenced a lot of other stuff, including Alien, who, yes, it has come out. They saw this movie first before they started writing it. So. Cronenberg's take on the high-rise story, which was a big thing around this time. People were just starting to build high-rise apartments. And so there was this, like, this reaction of horror from the artistic world, it seems, of, you can't have that many people living together without their own spaces. What do you think of the children? (laughs) And, like, there's this whole series, it's a whole genre of books and movies and TV shows, which basically the message is, if you live in a high rise, you will go insane and kill your friends. And, and like <laughs> it's his take on that, which is it's about the 
this small high-rise community on a small island that's like a private island. And even though they're in a high-rise, they're still on this island, which is a weird mix, so they still have nature. And the guy who created it was doing this as an experiment in order to make people the happiest they possibly could. And his solution to do this was to put a parasite in them, which is a little <laughs> dick, basically, that... Yeah lives inside you and makes you happy, dumb, and horny. So all you want to do, and this is stated, this is explicit. So all you want to do is sit around and fuck and nothing else. And that's going to be the, like, if this works, everybody is going to have a parasitic dick in them. And all of humanity is going to spend all of eternity just sitting around and fucking. Um, but unfortunately, <laughs> like you do when you put parasites in people, it goes a little wrong and the people who have parasitic dicks in them sometimes are forcing themselves on other people. Sometimes they're getting violent. And it, th this movie, which it doesn't really have characters. It's almost like a, like a think piece uh, or a documentary without any real documentary form. Uh, it, it tracks the beginning where we see the first victim of the parasite dick. Uh, get murdered by this man who is indeed the guy who created it and then we watch as the parasite dicks slowly spread throughout the entire high rise uh, infecting one person after the other as they all try to deal with the fact that everyone around them is getting really horny and so like there, there's a fair amount of uh, nudity in this movie there's a fair amount of gore in this movie there's lots of parasite dicks in this movie uh, it, it ends in this weird shift into and then the horny zombies spread across the globe and ended humanity with sex and i love this movie it's so fun <laughs> yeah i i agree it's it's i can't believe that this movie came out in 1975 first off you're watching you're like wow canada could get a lot with a way with a lot more yeah. than america could in film at this point because this thing is like yeah, you say a lot of nudity, a lot of gore. It's a lot of nudity and a lot of gore and a lot of just like, I mean, you can see how this is the beginning of Cronenberg's body horror period as like these things, which are, yes, definitely crawling slug penises are supposed to be sexual in nature. There is a lot of scenes of people just like throwing one up directly into someone else's mouth and what have you. It's overtly about you know, your own body and your own feelings about sex. And it is supposed to overtly make you feel icky in ways that aren't what the film is actually showing you specifically. Like you're not freaked out for these people. You're freaked out by the idea of the bodily things that are happening yeah. to these people and what that means in a subtextual level. I'm still not a hundred percent sure what Cronenberg was trying to get across exactly with this film i mean it's obviously a, a metaphorical movie i don't think you suggested to me that you thought he was being disapproving well, of sex and i don't think it was that at all I, I did not mean to to offer up that suggestion actually that my bad um <laughs> no 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 cronenberg's career is is unique uh I love the guy. He is just as pervy as I could ever imagine, but he's like the sweetest person in the world. No, no. It, it, I, what I feel like is Cronenberg has like all these weird sexual urges and interests. And so instead of trying, instead of trying to repress them or in any way, like, no, 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 I can't do this. He always puts them in his movies. So his movies delightfully explore the most twisted and weird sexuality there is. 
and, and it's it both condemns not the sex act but like what we do surrounding the sex act but then it's also super lurid like the first time somebody gets killed in this movie the camera's like zooming in on her as her skirt lifts up and it's like oh yeah there's her underwear between her legs and that is what the camera is very much focusing on here um so like i don't know it's just weird but i i, I don't think that he is anti-sex i think that I think that Cronenberg loves sex, but is against how far and how fucked up we become trying to get it. Yeah, no, I mean, he's definitely like uh, how fucked up we all are in our own perception of our relationship to it and our relationship with other people is how it stands between us. Like a lot of his films are about that, I, I could you know, honest, or to be honest, or some you. aspect of sexuality, even like his next film, The Brood, or I believe that's not his next one. It's just rabid that he did rabid. And then the, well, rabid is overtly sexual <laughs> and the brood is more about childbirth and our relation to that as a thing that isn't this bizarre that we grow these things. I keep wanting to find <laughs> out that Cronenberg is a polyamorous by doula. And like, this is just like, no man, I'm into everything. Sex is wonderful. <laughs> Body positivity. <laughs> he very well could be. He seems like he's a together guy. He just like gets his nightmares out and on film. Yeah. So there. And he makes really good horny movies. <laughs> or he used to, anyway. Yeah, <laughs> but this is another restaurant video, which means it's not the world's best upgrade of Blu-ray, but it's better than anything else that's out there it and exists. it's acceptable. It also comes with a digital code. So yeah, well, holy shit, I own a digital VOD version of Shivers. Yeah, no. That excites I'm me. Shivers, Rabbit, and um, and I just said Brood. The Brood. Those are the three movies that he made that I have still not seen because uh, for the yeah. longest time, there was no print about them. Like they just didn't exist. And so I think they might now, but still- Yay for this coming yeah, out on Blu-ray. That's awesome. They do. All three of those films have gotten a re-release in the past few years, and hopefully more re-releases, because I don't own Rabbit or the Brood yet, and I would like to. Amen. But this comes with audio commentary with writer-director David Cronenberg, a commentary with the co-producer Don Carmody, a interview with David Cronenberg for about 12 minutes about it, uh, an interview with actress Lynn Lowry for about 17 minutes, an interview with the special makeup effects creator Joe Blasco for 13 minutes, uh, there's a look at the leg legacy of John Dunning for 10 minutes. Uh, there's an archival interview with Cronenberg for 21 minutes. There's a still gallery, uh, two different still galleries, trailers, radio spots, and what have you. But yeah, this is really, I mean, if you've never seen this and you like Cronenberg and you like horror. Worth it. Man, why haven't you? Yeah, yeah why haven't you watched this shit? Also, forgot to point out, Barbara Steele has a smaller but big role in here as well, who's a horror legend, having starred as one of the lead characters from the show Dark Shadows and being on the you know, the title character, the head character in the movie Black Sunday, a all-time legendary Italian horror film, like arguably the best, one of the very best Italian horror films ever made. So, yeah, that's a big one. But let's move on, and we are going to move from horror to heroes <laughs> and a horrible reaction to them we're talking about batman death in the family i don't know why i said it that oh, way no, that was weird okay. i like the drama i'm gonna yeah. let you talk about this because i have a very strong opinion about everything that is this and well it'll okay probably shut things down pretty quick <laughs> so this is a new version of the dc animated films that are coming out or at least that's what it pretends to be. What you've got is a interactive short film. The idea being that you can, it goes to crisis points and you go, what will you do? 
It is based on the famous story where Jason Todd was murdered by the Joker, which was in and of itself decided by fans who were given a phone number to call to vote for should he die or should he not die. And they voted for him to die, although there has been since over the years. There's actually been some controversy over the years that that was not the way the vote went at all. I've heard that it was done because people robocalled it is what I read while researching this movie. Yeah. No one, I don't think we'll ever really know for sure. But either way, in the official canon, Jason Todd died, eventually came back as the Red Hood after being put into the Lazarus Pit by famous Batman adversary Raj al Ghul. This was covered in Batman Under the Red Hood, a previous DC animated release, which is one of the best. Like, it is a legitimately great movie. Honestly, if you've seen that, there's absolutely no reason to see this. Uh, it's a little bit of an amusing gimmick to take. Sure. Okay. Right off the bat, it says there's like nine minutes and then it goes, do you want Jason Todd dies? Batman saves Jason Todd. Jason Todd saves himself. Now, if you pick Batman, uh, Jason Todd dies, which is what happened in the comics, what you get is what the only thing you got to see, Aaron, which is the only thing on the digital version of this, other than the bonus features, which is 19 minutes of Bruce Greenwood as who voices Batman narrating the cliff notes of the movie under the red hood. There's it's ridiculous that it even exists and annoying. It's unwatchable. It's literally, it's actually 30 minutes till the credits roll. Oh, is it? Okay. Um, because there's a little bit before the choice happens. Um, right. It is 30 minutes of Bruce Wayne having a fucking cup of coffee with Superman and talking out what he went through in Under the Red Hood while they show it to you in flashback. It is 30 (laughs) minutes of exposition summarization. It is unwatchable. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I actually am uh, uh, with you. You had to warn me because I went the other way. I was like, I already know what happens with that. I want to see what happens if Jason Todd survives. So both of the other options there, Batman saves him or he saves himself, lead you down multiple levels of branching of ways you can go, which it makes it easy to go back a step once each one is over. Some of the alternate steps it takes are like, okay, this is literally just taking frozen images and panning across them with the new voiceover. Some of them are like, oh, that's the same thing that happened before, except they subbed out the costume he was wearing. Like, sometimes he's the Red Hood. Sometimes he's Red Robin. But it tries to go into all these different, like, permutations of the darker Robin character that happened in various versions of the books. And that's okay in and of itself, but it doesn't go anywhere super shocking or unexpected. I mean, it's it was okay. I was like, okay, this is kind of neat. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens when it shows, uh, you know, what the choices are in the varieties once you see that, you know, Jason Todd died as he did. But there are no choices. It's just that fucking piece of shit that I told you, that, that Aaron had told me about already. And I was like, this is... Why did this come out? And even then, the stuff with the more choices, all of this is pretty much just taken from under the Red Hood. Like, something like 70% of the footage is just repurposed footage from that. So why would you get this? Here's why. Here's why. If you're into choose-your-own-adventure books and you don't own Under the Red Hood, give it a shot. You might enjoy it. If you own Under the Red Hood, or if you're thinking about buying this on any digital platform, do not watch. Do not go walk away yeah uh do this is definitely something you do not want to get just as a digital download yeah you're you're there is no interactive version at all 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 you get is the crappy version (laughs) (laughs) 
So, and a lot of people were pissed because they were not, there's no warning. That's the case with buying the digital version. Apparently it does not warn you that that is the situation. And that's, that's kind of bullshit, quite frankly. But I watched it. You got to see it because you watched my digital copy that came with my Blu-ray. I was watching the Blu-ray, which did in fact have the interaction. I just assumed the digital one too would too. Cause even on the box, it doesn't say there's any differential, yeah, but there no, is. There is. <laughs> there is another reason for here. I mean, this is like uh, for people who don't watch all the stuff from before, you know, if you've not seen Under the Red Hood, you should really watch Under the Red Hood first because it's one of the best of these and tells the story really well. Uh, but this does gather together four of the animated shorts that were done pretty well from earlier, uh, from the stuff that's come out in the last year and a half only, not stuff from way before that. But it's the one about Sergeant Rock for about 15 minutes. There's one about Adam Strange for 16 minutes. There's one about the Phantom Stranger for 15 minutes. And there's one about Death from the Sandman for 19 minutes, which of course, those all four are definitely worth watching and odd little things to even exist. I thoroughly enjoyed them and it was great timing because I just finished reading the new, um, not the new 52, the new Frontier for the first time, actually reading the book book. And mm -hmm. all of those characters show up in it and I have no idea what's up with them and so i was like oh cool i get a little like little, just a little rundown of who they all are now yeah i mean and it, it's fun none of the none of those are essential or anything but they are fun and it's kind of weird that they even exist these all four of these are certainly not a-list characters in a dc canon but they have fun with them and they choose stories for some of them like like the sergeant rock character who you would think okay is more of a war character they actually go with a sort of vertigo version of him where he him in the league of monsters where he's fighting beside the wolfman and dracula and frankenstein and shit like okay that's fun and honestly it's the only reason it's the only thing worth getting on batman hush is that so you know in fact most of these are on ones that aren't that great anyway like adam strange is on justice league dark apocalypse war oh. phantom phantom strangers on superman red sun which is oh, okay okay I just watched that last but week. not essential but okay uh and then death is on wonder woman bloodlines which isn't as good as the first of the wonder woman an animated films but there's also audio commentary for for batman death in the family featuring amy dallin and hector navarro who are contributors to dc daily which is literally just them over the linear version of the film for 31 minutes. And there's uh, some additional shorts as well. They do audio commentaries for those bonus shorts there. So that's, I mean, I guess that's cool. Whatever. It's, this is not something I can recommend though, overall. No. I mean, if you're somebody who follows these animated films, there's no reason to pick this up. It's, and it's kind of insulting yes. that DC did not warn fans that the digital version of this was going to be as bare bones as it was. But I do, I know you didn't get to see Legends of Tomorrow Season 5. I've been keeping up with Legends of Tomorrow since it started. Initially, kind of disappointed, but curious. Then, really deeply in love, and now falling down to... Guys, when I said, go full crazy, I, I, I should have been careful what I said, exactly. <laughs> because I didn't mean stop giving a shit. Which is kind of what Legends of Tomorrow has turned into at this point. And that's horrible because, for one thing, they've made Con John Constantine one of the main characters in it. I was always like, yes, do that. And you get kind of a really lame, silly version of this great character, much like what they've been doing with him in the comic books ever since he they destroyed Vertigo. 
But, I mean, this has got the Crisis on Infinite Earths Part 5 thing, you know, with all those stories and all of them activated. If you want to watch that, it's on all of the, the seasons that came out, the collected of all those episodes. But the, the short version is the Time Bureau got destroyed. Uh, there's a bit where the they one of those documentary episodes where they hire a documentary crew to tell their story. And, of course, every they get caught doing a bunch of, like, embarrassing stuff. Uh, you know, a lot of Wait, shows that are around long enough, they do that episode. The Legends of Tomorrow time-traveling superheroes from different dimensions and worlds and times hired a documentary crew to follow them around and make it a documentary about them? Yeah, because they uh, basically their public perception was not great at that point. But anyway, so, <laughs> yes, I know. This is the kind of show that doesn't give a fuck. That's what I'm saying. It has no fucks yeah, to give. And there's a, I was happy about that at first, but now I'm like, maybe you need a few fucks. Maybe just a few. You know what? You know Throw what in of one do? or two fucks. They don't need to have Legends of Tomorrow be an annual show. They need to be like, you know what? We're going to come out with a season every once in a while, whenever we have a good idea, and retire it for two years, and then come back yeah. for like one 10 episode season, and then go away for a year, and then come back. And whenever you got something or a set of characters, do some shit. But they have a thing where Rasputin has come back to life in 1917 Russia, so they have to go back there and Just basically try to kill. They have to kill Rasputin, which is, no, because that's a completely different comics company. <laughs> they have to go and kill Rasputin, which, as everyone knows, is inten- intentional, is very hard to do, even in real life. Uh, Bugsy Siegel in 1947 is brought back to life, and they have to deal with that. I mean, some of these things are fun. It ties into, and this annoyed the fuck out of me, they turn Astra who is the character who is sort of the raison d'etre for John Constantine at all. Like as a teenager, he fucked up and accidentally caused this young girl that he had feelings for as like a per, like, you know, not romantic, obviously, but like he, as he was dating her, he was dating her mom and she was sent to hell in this thing that was supposed to be simple magic and went terribly wrong. And he's, it's the thing that drives him that he never gets over, but there's no, nothing for it. Well, they can make her, all grown up and now determined to get revenge against Constantine, a main character. I'm like, that's a terrible idea. You, you're missing the entire point of that but character. But then if, if he beats her, that. he has catharsis and he no longer has a reason to be a character. Uh, yeah, that's part <laughs> of it. And also it's like, part of it is just, no, she's just gone. Like, is the thing, there's, there, you can't go back. You can't fix this. And that is uh, something that people can identify with, yeah. you know? But the fa- her turning into like a demonic uh, villain who wants revenge is not something people can identify with. So uh, there's also they bring in the loom of the fates, you know, Lachesis, Atropos and all that with the character Charlie turning out to be one of them secretly, the shape changer character. Like, oh, wow, turns out she's actually one of the three fates that they're still pissed about for taking off. And that turns into a big thing for bringing that in. And also say goodbye to Ray Palmer, Brandon Routh, to all reports that I've heard was forced off the show because someone decided he was too old for the role now. I was like. Who makes these choices? Uh, and Nora Dark, who they end up with. They've been working towards a romantic thing for them for a while. And it turned into a, why don't we get married and go live somewhere else where we don't have to fight evil? Well, thank Whatever. you for letting me know. He was the character I liked. I don't need to watch the show now. I appreciate it. <laughs> I, I do really feel they've kind of put their dick in the dirt with this. And the about starting the second half of the last season and the season, it's still got stuff that's fun. But... 
overall, I just don't care that much anymore because clearly they don't. They're like, well, uh, if we get tired of somebody, we'll just replace them, which is what happens. It's just constantly replacing characters with whoever else. I don't know, because they cost less a lot of the time. Probably. And that's just, there's just no loyalty to it as a show and a continu continuing story or to the original comics. And I'm like, yeah, I've kind of had it with you. Well, let's see what we're at. There, okay, so we'll do one more. And then we'll throw the rest into another multi-part episode because yeah. uh, I'm actually on a timer tonight and we kind of screwed up with some tech issues earlier. So we will talk about a film that somebody from Film School Rejects said is on the cover. Best our film of the year. I'm like, you must have read that drugs. review. So, okay. When I, after I watched this well, movie. The, 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 which is called The, the Dead, Dead Ones. Ones. I was like, okay. I'm kind of curious what other people think about that. And I Googled it and stumbled upon a review that was clearly written by a high school student with a thesaurus uh, because he used a lot of big words uh, to say <laughs> this is one of the most important horror films that have been made in a long time. And it says interesting, new, nuanced things. It, it's, it's not. Uh, the, the, yeah. This is a head trip movie about four teens who are sent into a school that... I can't believe four people did all that destruction and they're supposed to pick up, which clearly like right off the bat, this place is like a condemned dump and yeah. immediately like immediately shit starts going crazy and they start seeing things that are trippy and like it, it lets you know within the first 10 minutes that reality means very little here. And so nothing you ever see is confirmed. Uh, is to be trusted and, so, and not not in not in a way where it's like oh shit was that a ghost no. was it just a dog or something no i mean like like you know full-on flashes to other realities or existences and the thing that they do that drove me crazy was that hey these four characters and their teacher go into high school you've all been very bad and that's why you have to clean up this school and then they immediately start talking about the four shooters with masks who came into that school and started murdering students. And you, like you said, it's like these horrible like things and no reality. You're like, gee, I wonder what the secret well, twist in this and film even then, is. Like, <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't work because like the trippy stuff would be shocking if we weren't sure if it was real or not. But because they tell us right off the bat nothing is real, uh, then it doesn't have any impact because we know it's not real. We're never like, oh shit, what's going on? And the people in the the burnt out school are, are acknowledging and discussing events as they happen when they keep flashing back to the school shooters. The, the, the outfits look like some guar reject of the killers who are may or may not be showing up to attack the teens in the school and everyone's kind of fucked up and weird and there's a girl who's complete who's like legitimately off her meds and losing her mind and all the guys are like well i guess i can't fuck her now and so like just <laughs> everyone is trash the the movie is a just a bottom dollar has no budget movie however for it being that kind of a movie, like I, I can respect that they didn't have a lot at, at their hands. And for what they were trying, I think they mostly succeeded, um, at least in telling the story. The violence when it happens is pretty good for being shitty CG blood. Um, 
there's one character he kind of like, sort of, but not really. Like, yeah. I, I don't want to shit on this movie because this is clearly like an underdog movie where they had what they had and they tried to make the best movie they could. <clears throat> and for it being that kind of a movie, they tried really hard and they managed to tell a story. But like, even if you acknowledge that, the script needs a lot of work and it doesn't really tell a cohesive story. It's not the best horror movie of the year. It teaches you nothing new about school shootings. But if you like art exploitation movies, which that is the production company that puts this out, um, Chris and I have had mixed opinions on their work in the past. Uh, I think they tend to put out super gory, super indie budget movies where they lean on the gore for the shock value to make up for the fact that they don't have a good script. And this is another one of those movies. So like... It is what it is. But if you're into if you're into their movies, go with God. You'll enjoy this. I bet. It can't. It, they made this back in 2009. Although it took forever for it to actually be released, apparently. Uh, so to some degree, you're dealing with old style school red cameras, digital cameras. So the look of it is cheap by today's standards. I mean, it's short. It's 72 minutes. The gore isn't terrible. It's not good either. The acting's not terrible. It's, it's not certainly terrible. not good. Um, but the ideas here are actually kind of solid. Mm-hmm. They're just also not well executed. It's like, wow, you have a lot of cool ideas, both visually and for s- scares and for what the bear base concept is. But it's like you had like an, a great idea party with everyone throwing in all this stuff and then handed it to someone who has never written a script before and has no idea how movies work. Because like I said, the so-called twist... It's exhausting waiting for them to just go ahead and say what it is because you know inside of 10 minutes what it is. Yeah, I spent the entire you time know? going, wait, like, so clearly there's something different happening, right? Like, m- maybe the twist is the school shooters are going to come back or maybe they died <laughs> and are in purgatory. And, and it, no, it's, it, no, no, yeah, it's just no. what you think no. it is 10 minutes in. Well, there's some extra features here. There's Jack Smith working with Elvis Jones in his special effects featurette for five minutes. Uh, there's a set tour with a production designer for about four minutes. There's an audio commentary with the director, editor, and producer, Jeremy Kasten, who also talks with the editor and the film's producer. And there's an audio commentary with him and with the four lead character cast members here. You know... There is a market for this type of very bottom dollar indie film. And I think most of it is people who themselves have worked on indie bottom dollar horror films and are like, hey, man, I'm impressed. You made a better shitty film than my shitty film. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the market, the target audience here. I I mean, I would definitely watch something else from this guy, but I would hope that, like, at the very least, he got given enough money to do something better because this is. I mean, it's bad. I get, yeah, it's not good. But that's it for this week's Digital Noise. We'll follow up with a part two very shortly. In fact, we'll probably end up having three parts on the I whole, have to ask you, though, thing. because this is not the best grouping of the movies that we covered. What's uh-huh. your pick of the week? What, just from this just grouping? Just this episode, because I have my answer, but it's... Oh, it's oh, it's okay, shivers. Cool. Yeah, shivers. Yeah, yes, yeah. no question. <laughs> I was like, like I, I think Dahmer like was up there for me, but even then, that's such a bare bones disc. Shivers is legit. Yeah. Shivers is loaded with shit, and you're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, it's an older film. Uh, it's not, you know, a perfect upgrade, but man, they make up for it with bonus features and a digital code. Yep. So you're like, 
that's a no-brainer for me. But we'll be back very shortly, probably in just another day or two, with the part, basically the part two. Woo-woo. <laughs> Woo-woo. With more horrors. Spoopy season <laughs> continues. Spoopy. Oh, Lord, he's spooping. Da, da, da.